afternoon. Thank you for attending today's Chewy second quarter FY23 earnings call. My name is Hannah, and I will be your moderator for today's call. All lines will be muted during the presentation portion of the call with an opportunity for questions and answers at the end. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1. I would now like to pass the conference over to our host, Jen Sue, Head of Investor Relations. You may go ahead. Thank you for joining us on the call today to discuss our second quarter 2023 results. Joining me are Chewy CEO Sumit Singh and Interim CFO Stacey Bowman. Our earnings release and letter to shareholders, which were filed with the SEC earlier today, has been posted to the Investor Relations section of our website, investor.chewy.com. On our call today, we will be making forward-looking statements, including statements concerning Chewy's future prospects, financial results, strategies and investments, industry trends, and our ability to successfully respond to business risks. Such statements are considered forward-looking statements under the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995 and are subject to certain risks, uncertainties, and other factors described in the section titled Risk Factors in our annual report on Form 10-K and other subsequent quarterly reports, which could cause actual results to differ materially from those contemplated by our forward-looking statements. Reported results should not be considered an indication of future performance. Also note that the forward-looking statements on this call are based on information available to us as of today's date. We disclaim any obligation to update any forward-looking statements except as required by law. Also during this call, we will discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures. Reconciliations of these non-GAAP items to the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures are provided on our investor relations website and in our earnings release and letter to shareholders, which are filed with the SEC today. These non-GAAP measures are not intended as a substitute for GAAP results. Additionally, unless otherwise noted, results discussed today refer to the second quarter of 2023, and all comparisons are accordingly against the second quarter of 2022. Finally, this call in its entirety is being webcast on our Investor Relations website. A replay of this call will also be available on our Investor Relations website shortly. I'd now like to turn the call over to Sumit. Thanks, Jen. And thank you all for joining us on the call today. Before we begin, I want to introduce Stacey Bowman, our Chief Accounting Officer. As previously announced, CFO Mario Marte retired on July 28th, and Stacey is serving as our interim CFO while we continue the search for a permanent CFO. She is a respected leader who has been with Chewy for more than eight years and is deeply familiar with our finance organization, systems, and processes. Welcome, Stacey. Now, let's begin. Our second quarter carried on the positive trends we saw in our Q1 results, delivering mid-teens growth, exceeding guidance, as well as robust profitability. In Q2, we reported $2.78 billion in net sales, up 14%, and a 3% adjusted EBITDA margin. Consistent with our expectations, active customers were broadly flat on a sequential basis, while net sales per active customer, or NETPAC, reached $530, reflecting a 15% increase. Net sales growth was underpinned by strong participation from our customers, underscoring the ever-increasing strength of the Chewy ecosystem. This momentum was evident across many of our focus areas, including AutoShip, where sales continued to grow at a faster pace than our top line, increasing their share of total net sales to 76% in the second quarter. AutoShip remains a key differentiator of Chewy's business model, enabling high visibility and predictability driven by recurring revenue streams while engendering customer loyalty. Additionally, we are also successfully driving discovery of our Chewy Health platform. For example, cross-category penetration into pharmacy now represents nearly 20% of our overall active customer base. 
Elsewhere across CHEWI, our teams are continuously enhancing our CRM capability, improving targeting, and supporting strong customer engagement. Moving down the P&L, we delivered another quarter of robust profitability. Gross margin of 28.3% was broadly in line with expectations. As anticipated, promotional activity in the second quarter was higher than in the first quarter. However, the promotional environment on the whole remains largely rational. Adjusted EBITDA margin came in at 3% for the quarter, benefiting from our strong gross margin trends and fulfillment cost efficiencies, offset by the impact of our exciting growth investments, including our Canada expansion, which remains on track for a Q3 launch. As we indicated during our Q1 earnings call, we continue to utilize our growing free cash flow to self-fund a meaningful portion of these growth initiatives. Additionally, our automation efforts continue to be both a driver of margin improvement to date, as well as a source of continued upside. Two of our four automated facilities are still ramping, and our fifth automated site is opening in early 2024. Combined, we expect them to provide additional operating efficiency in the future years. Before spending time on business initiatives, let me share our perspective on consumer behavior in the pet industry, and in particular, how these trends may impact active customers and NESPAC at Chewy. Coming out of the summer months, we are sensing a shift in consumer mindset towards being more discernible. And at the same time, with a higher willingness to consolidate their share of wallet to their trusted retailer of choice. This behavior is driven by a more fluid macro environment, including high levels of inflation, which have been passed through the industry over the past 18 months. Our dialogue with our suppliers confirms that these trends are permeating throughout the pet industry. At Chewy, we are in many ways insulated from these pressures given our high-quality customer base, the mix of our consumables and healthcare businesses, which drove nearly 85% of our net sales in Q2, our powerful AutoShip subscription service, best-in-class healthcare experience, and our overall promise of competitive prices, convenience, and unparalleled customer service. Our loyal customers recognize these attributes as key differentiators and continue to demonstrate robust ordering behavior, which in turn continues to support our strong performance. Further to this point, we see significant potential to continue growing share of wallet with our existing customers, evidenced by our strong track record of sustainable NESPAC expansion. As you may recall, we have grown NESPAC from around $330 in the year preceding our IPO to $530 this quarter, up approximately 60% over that time. While we saw a modest benefit from price increases, efforts such as growing Chewy Health ecosystem, increasing uptake of our AutoShip program, and our large customer base that spends more with us over time have driven the majority of our NESPAC expansion. This underscores the sustainability of our track record, as well as the ongoing potential to outperform the pet industry and deliver strong and profitable growth. Now, while we're more insulated than some others, we are not fully exempt from the pressures currently facing the pet industry. Pet household formation remains relatively muted, and as I mentioned above, the consumer mindset continues to be pressured. These factors taken together make the current environment a challenging period to forecast consumer behavior. Taking this into consideration, we continue to see potential for returning to net ad growth during the second half of this year. But in light of recent trends, we are now expecting a wider range of potential outcomes. 
While the industry-wide trends I just described make it challenging to forecast net ads, these dynamics are not specific to Chewy, and we believe we are well-positioned to drive improved active customer trends as macro factors and consumer behavior patterns normalize. Now, I would like to provide an update on some of our strategic initiatives. Our upcoming expansion into the Canadian market remains on track for Q3 of this year. Canada represents a large and fast-growing pet category, and our teams are hard at work finalizing selection, ensuring the same convenient delivery experience and high bar service that our U.S. customers enjoy. We look forward to sharing our progress over the quarters to come. In sponsored ads, one of our prospective margin accretive growth vectors, we are executing against a compelling roadmap and remain on track to ramp the program throughout the second half of the year and into 2024. We remain encouraged by the opportunity ahead and will continue to update you on progress as we scale the business. Lastly, I am excited to announce that we intend to host our first Investor Day later this year. Chewy has come a long way since our 2019 IPO, having nearly tripled our net sales to north of $10 billion, expanded gross margin by 800 basis points, and adjusted EBITDA margin by nearly 1,000 basis points. Yet, we are just getting started and believe that we still have considerable runway with clear potential to outperform the broader pet industry and drive both strong growth as well as significant margin expansion. We look forward to sharing a deep dive on our highly integrated pet ecosystem, unveiling our exciting roadmap ahead and recalibrating our long-term financial expectations to reflect the upside we see in the Chewy platform. In closing, I am particularly proud of our strong results and the high levels of customer engagement that we achieved in Q2. We operate in a secular growth category with demonstrated consumer resiliency, and Q2 once again showcased the strength and durability of our platform. With that, I will turn the call over to Stacey. Thanks, Sumit. I look forward to engaging with many of you in this new role. In the second quarter, net sales grew 14.3%, or $347 million to $2.78 billion. Non-discretionary consumables and healthcare categories continue to meaningfully contribute to growth in the quarter, collectively representing approximately 85% of second quarter net sales. Auto-ship customer sales were $2.1 billion, up 18.1%, and continue to outpace aggregate top-line growth by almost 400 basis points. Auto-ship customer sales now represent 75.5% of total net sales. Active customers remained broadly flat on a sequential basis and finished Q2 at $20.4 million. However, our primary measure of customer engagement, NESPAC, grew 14.7% to $530. Notably, both NESPAC and auto-ship customer sales yet again reached new record highs. As we move down the P&L, please note that my discussion of financials, where applicable, refers to metrics excluding share-based compensation expense and related taxes, as well as certain other adjustments disclosed in our SEC filings where relevant. The same applies to my discussion of guidance and financial outlook. Gross margin reached 28.3% in Q2, which reflects a 20 basis point expansion, broadly consistent with our expectations for the quarter. Continuing on to OPEX. SGNA, excluding share-based compensation and related taxes, 
totaled $550.9 million, or 19.8% of net sales, deleveraging 20 basis points compared to the second quarter of 2022. This temporary increase was largely driven by corporate payroll increases related to our growth initiatives, such as sponsored ads and our expansion into Canada, ahead of realizing the associated expected net sales growth. The SGNA deleveraging was partially mitigated by continued fulfillment cost efficiencies supported by our automation initiatives. Q2 advertising and marketing expense was $185.5 million, or 6.7% of net sales, consistent with our expectation of 6 to 7% of net sales. Second quarter adjusted net income was $63.3 million, an increase of $1.2 million. Second quarter adjusted EBITDA reached $86.9 million, up $3.8 million, implying an adjusted EBITDA margin of 3.1%. Second quarter free cash flow was $101.1 million, reflecting $158.8 million in net cash provided by operating activities and $57.6 million in capital expenditures. Capital expenditures were primarily comprised of automated fulfillment center investments and ongoing technology projects. As a reminder, we regularly see fluctuations in CapEx intensity from quarter to quarter. Following below average CapEx intensity in the first quarter, CapEx spending increased in the second quarter. Overall, we expect 2023 capital expenditures to remain in the range of 1.5 to 2% of net sales. We finished Q2 with $905.4 million in cash and cash equivalents and marketable securities, nearly $300 million higher than the balance at this time last year, and we remained debt-free. At the end of Q2, between cash on hand, marketable securities, and availability on our ABL, our liquidity stood at $1.7 billion. That concludes my second quarter recap. So now, let me cover our third quarter and full year 2023 guidance. As always, our guidance reflects a balanced view that incorporates the strength of our business model and customer engagement, along with the latest views on the evolving economic outlook. We expect third quarter net sales to be between 2.74 and 2.76 billion, representing year-over-year growth of approximately 8 to 9%. We are reiterating our full-year 2023 net sales outlook of $11.15 to $11.35 billion, representing growth of approximately 10 to 12% compared to full-year 2022. We are also reiterating our full-year 2023 adjusted EBITDA margin outlook of approximately 3%. As you update your models, also note, that we expect our free cash flow for full year 2023 to be approximately two and a half times the free cash flow we generated in full year 2022. Before we open the call to questions, I'd like to reiterate that our strong second quarter earnings reflect the resilience of our operating model in an evolving macro environment. We believe that Chewy is exceptionally well-equipped to navigate the road ahead and deliver strong performance as our execution is grounded in our operating philosophy of driving sustainable, profitable growth.
And with that, I'll turn the call over to the operator for questions. Certainly. If you would like to ask a question, please press star followed by one on your telephone keypad. If for any reason you would like to remove that question, please press star followed by two. Again, to ask a question, press star one. As a reminder, if you are using a speakerphone, please remember to pick up your handset before asking your question. We will pause here briefly as questions are registered. Our first question is from the line of Doug Amuth with J.P. Morgan. You may proceed. Thanks so much for taking the questions. Um, Sumit, if you could talk more about the wider range of outcomes for active customers in the back half. Uh, curious how much is hard goods driven acquisition a factor here, even though it's not a big piece of your business? And if my math is right, the 4Q guidance range is around 5 to 12%, which feels pretty wide. Just hoping you can help us understand what's happening uh, at both of those extremes. Thanks. Okay. Just to clarify the guidance range you're talking about, is revenue guidance range or somehow customer guidance range? Revenue. Yeah, the implied uh, revenue guidance range for 4Q. Okay. That's uh, that's not – so just, just to address that head-on, that's not how wide we're thinking. We're, we're – you know, we're estimating the range of outcomes on net ads to be a bit wider. You know, we clearly communicated that we expect growth in the back half of the year. And while that's certainly possible, you know, we're sort of modeling a couple different types of scenarios. But on the back of that, I want to reiterate the guidance that we provided, which we actually feel pretty good about given the strength that we're seeing from ordering customers and the engagement, uh, you know, from those customers on our platform. Uh, now, let me go back and kind of give you the color on why we're projecting a wider outcome or wider range on the net ads or active ads kind of conversation that we've been having the last couple of quarters. So, uh, essentially, essentially what's happening is I'll, I'll, I'll provide a short version. happy to dive into the details here. So, consistent with, you know, what we've previously communicated, um, uh, large COVID cohorts that were headwind to net ads during the first half of the year you know, we're, we continue to expect this impact to diminish in the second half now that we've reached the two-year mark for a majority of these cohorts. At the same time, you know, coming out of Q2, what we've seen is a slightly more discernible customer. And it really started in July for us much more than it did in May and June. And so we just haven't had enough time for this to play through. So I, I'm, we're projecting what we're seeing right now forward. And what it is is that for the more recently acquired or newer cohorts of customers, whose behavior is proving difficult to forecast given kind of the, 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 the pressures that they're under given the high inflation, we just have to, we believe we have to work harder or we will have to work harder to earn their trust simply because they are more distracted by the current macro pressure and they haven't yet had the cycles to experience the chewy magic. So, so you know, so we know that we have to execute even more sharply to deliver value to the cohorts of customers that are seeking value in the near term uh, such that we are winning with them as much as we win with the customers that are already loyal to Chew. So it's, it's, it's really kind of a tale of two cities. It's, you know, the, the loyal cohorts stay loyal and they're consolidating their share of wallet with us. So that is driving, you know, the NetPack expansion. And then this recent kind of July trend that we're slightly seeing projected into August so far is what's causing us to say, hey, you know, maybe we should, we should widen the aperture here and play through a range of sensitivities. Yeah, but on the back half, we're pretty confident about delivering uh, the or holding our guidance, which, by the way, is going to be a share winning position in the back half of the year. And if I could just follow up on 
on NESPAC, uh, can you just help us parse out what's happening kind of 2Q and 3Q between inflation and like-for-like and -like pricing? Yeah, sure. So pricing is going to impact in two different ways, and, and you know, uh, Stacy can also provide some color if she, if, she, if she wants to hear. But essentially on pricing, what you're going to see is the back half, you know, the, the, the cost increases that came through in 2H of 22, right, we benefited from them in the first half of 23. So going into the back half, our growth is driven as a combination. The revenue composition is weighted, you know, volume and price and not overweighted towards price. On NESPAC, you know, as we've de de decomposed our NESPAC or deconstructed our NESPAC, what we can confidently state is that you know, inflation over the past years has provided a modest benefit. So greater than, greater than kind of two-thirds to north of 70% of the benefit that we're seeing in the NESPAC growth is organically cohort development plus ownership development plus health development, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all, it's all accretive. And obviously, Q4, we expect, you know, a little more transactional given kind of the, the, the holiday season and the ASD compressions that generally take place in a time like that. So it's a bit more transactional than Q3. Great. Thank you, Sumit. Sure. Thank you, Mr. Enrup. Our next question is from Eric Sheridan with Goldman Sachs. You may proceed. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the question. Um, maybe you want to come back to the ad business potential, uh, both for the end of this year and into the next fiscal year. Maybe you can refresh us on some of the key learnings you've had uh, from debating uh, and working with partners on the ad business rollout, and how should we be thinking about uh, the uh, elements of ad coverage or advertiser response or things that you're trying to line up ahead of that uh, more wider launch later this year? Thanks so much. Sure. So, Eric, this is a this is essentially a tale of two cities. Also, the demand on the platform is far exceeding the supply that we have right now opened up to our suppliers, which is obviously a, a, a point that proves kind of the conviction behind the product, as well as the quality of the product that the team is launching. Yeah, the the guardrail on opening up supply is limited to make sure that we're making sure that the organic experience that customers have come to enjoy, right, doesn't get over 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 overrun by sort of the the we just want to make sure we're very thoughtful in opening up that supply. So the plan has always been to ramp this up into edge, and we're on track for that. Uh, in fact, uh, the original forecast that we had kind of coming into perspective, you know, as the program scales, we were sort of thinking of this as one one and a half percent off of opportunity that we are now kind of you know squarely thinking in the one to three percent range, and and we'll widen our aperture as as the program kind of takes hold per se. So the the response rate is there. The teams are appropriately focused. Customer customer experience forms the right type of bar to make sure that uh, our quality and go-to-market execution is high. Uh, ROIs that our, our vendors are seeing, or at least the participating suppliers are seeing, are high, particularly as you deal with you know the subscription nature of our business, uh, and therefore the ROI is appropriately converted into an LTV basis rather than a one-time transaction that most ad platforms kind of run in the market per se. Uh, which you know we have always been aware of, and that we believe is the strength of the Chewy platform, uh, and uh, and will allow our suppliers to to kind of build their brand in an even more compelling manner. Great, thanks for the call. Sure. Thank you, Mr. Sheridan. Our next question is from the line of Stephen Zaccone with City. You may proceed. Great. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Stacey, congrats on the new role. 
Uh, Smit, I was hoping you could elaborate a little bit more on the commentary about the consumer changing out of the summer months. Are you seeing more trade down? Are you seeing smaller baskets from these customers? I guess, like, what makes you concerned it's a new trend versus just the two-month period at the end of the summer? And when you say you need to work harder with these new customers, does that mean more promotional at the start? Should we assume that that's some gross margin implications? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, so it's a, it's a great question. So, are we seeing are we seeing concerning trends? Not not really, not yet. Uh, so, what do I mean by saying we're observing the consumer become a bit more discernible? Uh, you know, for the first time in July, we really noticed you know, a shift out of kind of wet food more towards dry food, and that generally you know is an indication of more value seeking behavior. Uh, you know, we're also we're also you know seeing kind of treats. Uh, pull back a little bit. You know, they've gained traction in Q1 coming out of 2022, and they've pulled back slightly in in uh, in Q2, particularly coming out of July. Right? It's not material yet to come out and actually raise any alarm bells, and we're not because we believe we're fairly insulated. So let, let me give you kind of color on what's happening, and I think to really get gain the color, uh, we've sort of like broadened the the aperture and gained some context here. So from 20 to 2022, the storyline was all about dealing with the pandemic. So coming out of last year, right, 2022 became the year of recovery. Supply chain stabilized, but costs rose dramatically through this period and have been passed on to the consumer by way of unprecedented high prices. And and these inflationary pressures are now showing up industry-wide and also in pets. Now, recall that pet household formation was already muted. Like that hasn't changed through 2022 and continues through the first half of 23. In addition to that, this this behavior that I am kind of uh, calling out here, it 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 indicates that the consumers being more value conscious at this point, and that makes sense. I mean, to to think that in times like these, the consumer preferences towards value over convenience makes sense. But the winning combination is offering them both value and convenience, and we believe that for a majority of the consumers, we do that. We offer both value and convenience, and therefore we believe we're somewhat insulated from the full impact of these current times, given the strength in the business model. Now, now for recently acquired customers, right? We, we're, we're their behavior is hard to predict, right? Their, their order purchase frequency might be slightly off. You know, usually when we see customers come back in four weeks, that might be five weeks, etc. So, so we believe that we have to be extra sharp, and the CRM capabilities that we've deployed, that we developed kind of towards the latter half of last year into this year, right, those are going to be much more sharply deployed towards the back half of the year. So in terms of promos, we are not going to lead the market as, as we never do, right? We're price followers. We're not price leaders in that way. But we stand ready to respond. Internally, we're going to find ways to self-fund, right, creative ways to pass on the value to the customer. And that doesn't have to be kind of promo-led, per se. It could be other tactics as well. We also have a series of other kind of roadmap where that we are taking, you know, into account in, in H2, as well as next year, that will formulate our strategy to both acquire net new customers as well as improve retention of these recently acquired cohorts. I can, I can continue, but hopefully that, that provides a bit of the color. No, that was, that was very helpful, Dita. I appreciate all of that color. I guess just to have a brief follow-up then, do you think the overall industry gets more promotional as we get into the back half of the year? Because I'm curious, you know, as the two months of, of activity of what you've seen, has your peer set gotten more promotional? Yeah. 
We we do expect that. So if you recall, we we've been we've been transparent about our expectation of greater promotionality in 2023 from our Q1 call itself. And you know, both Q1 and Q2, we saw higher promotional activity, you know, relative to kind of the, the the pandemic years. But the promotional activity so far has been lower than our expectation. As we move out from first half into second half, we've continued to bake in an incremental promo spend because our expectation is that promotions are going to be higher in the back half of the year. So, like I said, we're not looking to, to lead the market, but we stand ready to respond uh, to make sure that customer experience and demand are both protected. Okay. Thanks for all the detail. Best of luck in the back half. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Zaccone. Our next question is from the line of Anna Andreva with Needham. You may proceed. Uh, great. Thank you so much. Uh, good afternoon, guys. Uh, just a follow-up on the uh, previous question. Just any color on how we should think about the growth margin uh, for the third quarter, just given your comments on uh, potentially higher uh, promos for the industry as we approach uh, the back half. Um, and then secondly, just as a follow-up, uh, you had talked about 50 to 75 basis points from Canada Investments uh, this year. Uh, what was the amount in the second quarter? And should we think about the balance uh, more or less evenly split in the back half? Sure. Hi, Anna. This is Stacy. I'll take um, the first question on gross margin. So, um, as you know, we don't typically give formal guidance around gross margin, um, but uh, if we do note it is typical to see some fluctuations from quarter to quarter, but we feel good um, about this quarter um, and expect gross margin to remain uh, around the 28% level for the balance of the year. Um, longer term, we're excited because we believe there is still meaningful room left for gross margin expansion. So, for example, um, as Sumit mentioned earlier, we continue to grow and obtain market share in existing high margin verticals like Chewy Health, um, and we also are investing in and scaling new initiatives such as sponsored ads that are margin accretive. And on the second question, uh, the the EBITDA guidance essentially, uh, you know, implies and consumes the uh, uh, the level of investment that we are going to make. So they started, we started ramping investments into Canada and other verticals such as sponsored ads, etc., in Q2, and we will see those continue to ramp up through the back half of the year, which is baked into the guidance. Also, if you recall, you know, we mentioned in our on our Q1 call, we're going to uh, ramp up. Uh, new fulfillment centers that launched in in the middle of, the middle of the year, which has continued kind of on its pace, and we should expect some short-term dilution as a result of that. And then finally, the incremental promo or promotional environment that we are talking about is also baked in. Uh, so that kind of formulates uh, you know the, the 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 way that guidance is built for on on a profit basis for the back half. All right. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Ms. Andriva. Our next question is from Dylan Cardin with William Blair. You may proceed. Thank you very much. Uh, so I'm just trying to reconcile the idea of a wider range of outcomes now anticipated for net customer ads, albeit still positive, and keeping the guidance for the year. I'm just kind of curious maybe what levers or optionality you might be envisioning in doing that. How we plan on on exceeding our own expectations, Dylan? Is that is that basically the question? Well, it just seems like there's some incremental caution on the net customer as in the back end, and then sort of keeping the guidance as it is. 
and sort of where you said the third quarter is try to understand, just reconcile those two ideas that seem to be at odds. Got it. Okay. The strengths that we're seeing, the balance is essentially drawn, Dylan, from the strengths that we're seeing in open customers. So, you know, market sizes are holding up pretty, pretty good. Auto share penetration rates are holding up steady. Ownerships are holding up steady. And so our, you know, ordering frequency was higher for existing customers. Uh, and so it's this notion of, you know, during times like these, customers look to consolidate their share of wallet instead of continuing to perhaps, you know, cross shop even a little bit that they do uh, as part of their normal day-to-day. And so we believe that trend will continue through the back half of the year. Secondly, you know, we provided a bit of a data point here today uh, stating the penetration that we are driving into our verticals, such as to health, particularly prescription food and, and, and medication. You know, that continues through the back half of the year as well. And, uh, you know, three, our mobile app continues to gain traction. The percentage of orders that went through the app uh, and the AOE benefits that we see for customers that are more engaged, you know, is also kind of built in a little bit in the back half, per se. So all of that essentially, you know, holds us uh, uh, right now. Uh, it gives us the confidence that we can deliver the backup in the way that we are. On the customer side, you know, we, it's more recent, right? It's these recent cohorts that have been a little more uh, deal-seeking and value-conscious. And so we're we're just we're we're watching this one really carefully to understand, you know, what kind of cohort behaviors are being demonstrated, are the repeat order rates like we expect and want them to be? Is there ASP compression in basket sizes as this cohort kind of ramps up, et cetera, et cetera? So, you know, primarily we're going to deploy a series of tactics to make sure that we are kind of protecting ourselves as well as, uh, you know, serving both value and convenience. So overall, we feel good playing out from here. Got it. And can I just take one and just got automation? Um, any way to kind of quantify or, or scale the impact that you're seeing already from automation and kind of where you are in the utilization of, of those facilities? I think you've given that historically. Yeah, so, you know, if you recall, we've launched four. We're on track to open our fifth one next year. Of the four that have launched, two are ramped and two are ramping. And for every fulfillment center that we ramp, you should expect, you know, roughly 20, 20 to 30 basis points of leverage that we will we will provide. Uh, you know, of the of the remaining uh, you know, ten fulfillment centers, we have left room uh, and are actively you know starting to retrofit with other ideas that will serve to provide leverage in the future for us. Uh, we're actually excited to share our roadmap of the future at the investor day that we announced today uh, in the back half of this year. So we're we're all is on track on the supply transformation side. Great, uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Cardin. Our next question is from Mark Mahaney with Evercore. You may proceed. Thanks. I wanted to ask a question on uh, the Canada launch and on sponsored ads. On the Canada launch, could you give us a sense of the timing of that during the quarter? Like, in, in, And if it's successful, should we start seeing that in net ads already in the September quarter? Or is it a late quarter launch? And so if it's successful, it would only show up in Q4? And I know you're. I know we're talking starting from nothing, so I I, I get that it would be a small contribution, but just trying to understand the timing. And then on sponsored ads, are you doing this all internally, organically, or are you working with um, you know third party, you know retail media networks to to, to start growing that? Thank you. Sure. So on sponsored ads, we're doing most of this internally, uh, Mark. So that's the, the short short version of that answer. 
Uh, on Canada, we are, you know, expecting launch imminently, and it starts ramping really in Q4. So the impact would likely start, we, we will start feeling the impact in Q4, but we haven't built in any materiality in our forecast for this year. Okay, thank you, Samir. Thank you, Mr. Mahaney. Our next question is from Brian Fitzgerald with Wells Fargo. Please proceed. Uh, thanks, guys. A couple follow-ups. The, um, the cross-category form of penetration, 20%, um, wh where do you think that can get to at, at uh, maturity, and is, is that accelerating? And then uh, follow-up on a mesh pack hitting 530. Um, can you opine a little bit on, on what's going on with – household spend and, and how much of that do you think you can eventually capture as you continue to add, you know, different products and different SKUs and services? Sure. Hey, Brian. Uh, on the cross-category for Rx, uh, you know, in one of our top priorities inside the company is one where we believe every active Chewy customer should also be a Chewy pharmacy customer. So there's a lot of headroom here for us, and uh, we are uh, excited about that. And, yes, uh, on a year-over-year -year basis, it is accelerating uh, or has accelerated, uh, and uh, so all, all, all positive here. Uh, NESPAC, uh, household spend can be captured. Uh, we believe we are, for our loyal customers, we're likely capturing uh, a majority of their spend in the food and health segment today. Uh, you know, uh, supplements was an opportunity for us two years ago, but we closed that gap pretty credibly last year, which has actually also contributed to the NetSpec expansion for us. So on these merge classes that constitute food, toppers, uh, health, uh, whether it's uh, diet or, or, or uh, prescription medication or OTC uh, or supplements, we believe we are uh, actively consolidating and, and gaining share. And that truly is kind of where the consumer's mindset is today, because if you recall, what's happened is consumer allocated $100 towards pet. You know, in the past, it used to be $80 on consumables and health, $20 on hard goods. That $20 hard goods has essentially shifted out of there, and most of that is now being spent on consumables and, and, uh, and health. And it will remain so up until the macro recovers, in our opinion. Uh, long term, we're, we're actually, you know, the, the, the fact that the – the the spend continues to move, you know, from offline to online. I believe, you know, we will emerge as a stronger, you know, company in the future, given um, both our base, the level of investments that we've made through the pandemic, uh, and the execution quality that the team continues to demonstrate. So overall, we're we're much uh, we're bullish about the the future. Uh, we all collectively have to endure just a short term uh, macro as it plays through. Thank you, Sumit. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mr. Fitzgerald. Our next question is from Lauren Schenck with Morgan Stanley. You may proceed. Hey, everyone. It's Nathan Federon for Lauren. Um, I just want to dig in a little bit more on the Chewy Health Roadmap. What gets you from the you know, kind of encouraging 20% cross-category penetration today to the goal of 100%? And from the pharmacy side, how much of that is skew expansion versus getting more customers to discover and adopt the Thank you. Yeah, so it's uh, primarily it's – it's a great question. Primary – our primary challenge is, uh, you know, discoverability 
uh, of this platform and, you know, essentially, uh, you know, winning customer trust. If you notice, uh, or if you recall, I may have mentioned this data point, a third of the customers today in the United States don't visit their pets at a recurring frequency or don't consume medication at the recurring frequency. And so, you know, we have an opportunity to not only expand the current TAM that we see in this particular space, you know, we also have the opportunity by, by driving, essentially by driving incremental compliance. And that has truly been the power of how we go to market with customers on the back of our authorship platform. Yeah, so, you know, our ownership eligibility for pharmacy is at par or even higher than our consumables businesses, and we are rapidly innovating to make sure that, you know, customer uh, sign up, you know, any kind of friction around customer experience, whether it's sign up or whether it's discovery or whether it's sort of uh, checkout, uh, is being addressed uh, actively by the team. Uh, overall, our NPS uh, on this platform continues to remain high, and uh, we're pretty proud to serve uh, a large base of customers. So this is less about adding SKUs. It's much more about uh, just making sure that there is awareness as well as discoverability. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from Trevor Young with Barclays. You may proceed. Great. Thanks for the questions. First, on a category basis, it looks like hard goods returned to growth in the quarter. Is that kind of consistent with your expectations, and do you expect that cadence to improve from here, or does that more discerning customer and tougher compares make it likely that growth stays a bit more challenged? And then any update on the insurance initiative with True Panion and Lemonade? I think that's now available nationwide. Just any initial comments on uptake there relative to your own expectations, and can you shed any light on how that maps to the PNL? Thank you. Hi, Trevor. This is Stacy. So I'll take the hard goods question first. Um, so historically, we always do have some seasonality in our hard goods sales with a small pullback between the first and second quarter. Um, so that also combined with the value-seeking behavior that Sumit spoke about shown by the consumer recently um, contributed to some softness um, in uh, hard good growth for this quarter. Um, our expectations for the rest of the year have not really changed. Um, on uh, hard goods, it's also easier uh, easier comps. If you notice, last Q2 was uh, was a negative, uh, you know, almost a, a high high single digit, low double digit decline, and so you're comping a much much softer year from last year. Uh, on insurance, uh, we are super excited about having you know two best in class providers uh, on our platform, uh, Tropanion and Lemonade. As expected, what it has done is it's opened up you know, the, the the range of plans and choices across various different price points and coverages to a wider range of our customers. And as you would expect, you know, what that has translated to is the rate of policy sign-up has gone up proportionately because, you know, you, you open up assortment, uh, it drives to incremental revenue pretty, pretty on a pretty direct correlation basis. So while that's a really positive data point, you know, this this vertical itself requires a ton of education and awareness, and uh, we're seeing, you know, we're seeing our metrics head in the positive direction. Our, you know, quote to conversion rate, or you know, uh, 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 call to quote rate and quote to conversion rates are all improving. Uh, our, you know, as you would expect, our customer care team is actually becoming a pretty powerful source of educating customers about insurance, and therefore also driving you know, uh, on a high trust basis, uh, providing the information and driving the conversion. 
this was always our hypothesis to start with because you don't really buy insurance online. You buy it you know, via kind of these assisted channels, and we have one of the best assisted channels out there. So overall, we're super excited about what's to come. Uh, I, I, I must kind of note on you that this is a bit of a longer arc vertical given that the consideration cycle for customers is longer. So we're not we're we're going to be appropriately patient and play this game over the long term. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Young. Thank you, Mr. Young. Our next question is from Seth Basham with Bloodbush. You may proceed. Thanks a lot. And good afternoon. Uh, Simon, I was wondering if you could provide some color on growth ads relative to 2019, like you did in recent quarters. And then also provide some color on CAC trends, either year-over-year or sequentially. So growth stats continue to run higher than 2019. Uh, we're not entirely dissatisfied by the pace of our growth stats. We believe the team is executing credibly. Uh, you know, yes, the, the categories that are muted are, of course, you know, uh, causing a pullback on growth stats. I think Doug mentioned whether, like, the contribution of hard goods is weighing in on customer acquisition. It absolutely is. But on the balance, we're not totally dissatisfied by the pace of, uh, of, of growth ads. You know, net new to QE is, uh, you know, is uh, slightly softer than pre-pandemic, but reactivations are much stronger than pre-pandemic. So if you combine those two, the overall output is that growth ads are stronger than 2019. And then color on CAC, uh, not much has changed from what uh, I believe I shared last time, which is, you know, the the... CAC has increased over the last couple of years, at least through the, you know, as we've come out of the pandemic, because, you know, then you were picking up, you know, everybody was declaring intent and you were picking up customers uh, quite, uh, quite uh, economically. Uh, but candidly, the, the, when viewed from the lens of LTV to CAC, LTV has also continued to go up. So our ratios have actually very nicely maintained. And on an ROI standpoint, we're, you know, we're, we're spending where we believe we should be spending uh, from a marginal uh, point of view. The reason CAC continues to go up right now and will remain high up until the macro recovers, in my opinion, is, A, there's a shallower pool of customers declaring intent. So clearly the competition for the same customer is higher, and that drives up the bid rate. And then, B, recall that social used to be a pretty active channel, you know, a few years ago, and the loss of targeting has actually led to a loss of yield that drives up CAC in the social channels. So it's, it's a combination of those two. But LCV is going up appropriately. That's helpful. And just as a follow-up, um, is LTV going up appropriately for the most recent uh, cohorts of customers, too? And if not, if that LTV to CAC ratio is weakening for the most recent cohorts, are you going to adjust where you're uh, spending uh, to find new customers? We always do, actually. So cumulative contribution profit is what we go after. And, you know, we're always trying to sort of find that tangential point where this tips over to the fact where, to the point where the campaign actually becomes negative returning. So far, you know, the team's been very diligent. And we've actually experimented with, you know, uh, trying to spend money to put, pick up, you know, discretionary customers. And it's just not, not a high ROI effort right now. So we're not, we're not really going after that uh, you know, because we would rather maintain the quality that drives the repeat purchase. Otherwise, you never really get out of the spiral of churn and, 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 and spending money to keep that customer per se. Uh, and so we are, you know, our engines, our performance marketing teams appropriately adjust to find, you know, the best customer, the best return across the best channel. Uh, and that is done, you know, on a, on, a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, not on a quarterly basis. So we're fairly responsive. Thank you.
Thank you, Mr. Basham. Our next question is from Lee Horowitz with Deutsche Bank. You may proceed. Great. Thanks for taking questions, too, if I could. Um, when you think about the consistently challenged pet household growth environment, do you think that you need uh, pet household growth to turn more meaningfully, more meaningfully positive in order to return Chewy back to more meaningful, meaningfully positive user growth in the medium term? And then maybe digging in again to these recently acquired cohorts in the platform and, and some of the caution you were seeing amongst these users. Can you talk a bit more specifically on what you maybe are seeing from these cohorts in terms of repeat purchase rate, auto ship penetration, basket size, um, relative to the core, a anything that, that these users are flagging to you that, that's raising this degree of, you know, modest caution um, that leads you to believe maybe these users have structurally higher churn than, than your existing base. Thanks so much. Sure, sure. Uh, on the on the first question of do we need them to turn more meaningfully positive? Well, there's certainly a factor. Uh, household penetration is a factor, and that uh, it is an important input into the model. But it's not the it's not what we are solely dependent on. In fact, you know, for you know, we our teams are progressing multiple features across Chewy.com, which we expect, and, and this is all you know kind of in the back half, which will continue. Some of this will continue into into next year per se. You know, our team's progressing multiple features across Chewy.com, which we expect where, where we will expect to credibly reduce friction and lower conversion barriers in areas of, for example, account creation, and and improve both sign up rate as well as customer retention. Right. So some of these specific examples might be in areas of account creation, payments, our content platform, uh, our CRM mechanisms. Uh, you know, or, uh, you know, uh, uh, we've talked about, you know, at our, which, which I will discuss more in detail at our next earnings call, but we're super excited to talk to you about Chewy Loyalty, which we're progressing for an early 2024 launch. So we're not, we're not sitting idle waiting for the macro to recover, right? It's just this notion of what cannot be cured has to be endured. So we're going to endure that. And at the same time, everything that is controllable in our, in, in our, on our side, which is improving experience, and 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 uh, opening up net avenues to acquire and retain customers, we are absolutely focused on that. And then your second question was, uh, with the more recent cohorts, what are you seeing on repeat order frequency? Uh, we're seeing their their repeat order frequency. That it's essentially what I was mentioning earlier. Authorship penetration actually is fairly fairly intact. Their basket sizes are slightly lowered, you know, because they're more value-seeking. So, you know, obviously there, there's an airspeed compression that is taking place there. Their attach rates are slightly lower. So, you know, the units per order metric is, is, is where you will see that impact, which ultimately goes back and kind of talks to the basket size also. Repeat order frequency, you know, uh, they need, they need a little more nudge relative to our kind of loyal customer bases. So we're just, we're watching right now. Uh, and that's, We've essentially baked that in into the guidance, and we're baking that in into the active customer ad forecast as well. Very helpful. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Mr. Horowitz. Our next question is from Stephen Borbs with Guggenheim. You may proceed. Good evening, Stacey. Just two quick follow-ups, one on ownership and one on pharmacy. So first on ownership. Submit. Can you comment on how the average number of net ownership orders by customer within some of your more mature cohorts are trending relative to plan? And then on pharmacy, can you also talk about 
like how the customer journey for pharmacy customers has evolved over the years, such as time to trial, usage statistics, auto ship adoption, and, and maybe most importantly, churn rates, right, among uh, those customers that, that try and convert into pharmacy earlier in their life, life cycle? Uh, sure. Uh, I may not be able to satisfy your full curiosity relative to some of the metrics that you're asking, uh, but I'll build your intuition uh, generally in, in stating that, you know, authorship continues to be more powerful in the way that it is accreting uh, value for customers and passing that value on to customers. Uh, you know, we've done that by, A, making sure that the assortment under authorship is maximized. We've also done that by making sure that barriers to either authorship conversion, uh, you know, or authorship retention, where, whether they may be payments related or whether they may be attached related, have continued to be lowered. You know, our improvement in segmentation and targeting ability does, you know, does allow us to, to speak with customers a little more meaningfully, and that will only get better in the future. And then, you know, from a, from a, from a cohort development point of view, you know, we've invested, you know, across our kind of discoverability and attach engine to make sure that customers not only discover uh, you know, complementary attached products, but are essentially attaching to them, uh, you know, in a meaningful manner. So all of this is essentially leading to, you know, the incremental authorship uh, sales that you're you're looking at. You know, authorship. The 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 beauty of authorship is, you know, it is a very flexible program, and customers trust that they won't you know, they'll, that they they both trust the flexibility and they have come to trust the reliability. That we put behind authorship, and so it's it's a it's a high high value program from that point of view. Not not only from a uh, from a from a pricing point of view, but also from an overall experience point of view. Uh, on the RX side, uh, you know, this is uh, this is we believe we have the best healthcare experience that e-commerce can offer, uh, or that customers can find, uh, you know, in in the in the in the in the best of kind of retailers out there per se. So our metrics on pharmacy, you know, our adoption, authorship adoption is even higher in pharmacy than it is in some of our other March classes. Uh, our churn rate is lower uh, given how high a bar we have. Uh, and at the same time, you know, we always have opportunity that we're working on to make sure that we get even better with products like these. So overall, uh, we're excited about, about this work. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Forbes. Our last question is from the line of Rick Patel with Raymond James. You may proceed. Uh, thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, can you talk about what you're seeing in terms of spending by cohort for those customers that are not new to Chewy? So I appreciate that NSPAC is growing, but just as we think about how much customers are spending uh, further along in their life cycle. I'm curious if you're seeing changes in that trend line. Uh, yes, we are. We absolutely are. Uh, in fact, our, you know, like our more recent cohorts are slightly, you know, as, as we've kind of mentioned on this call, you know, they require a little more nudging. Uh, but the NESPAC development curve through our older cohorts if you look at the three main factors of NESPAC development, right, cohort maturity uh, leads the way, right, followed by kind of the other two, which is a combination of, uh, uh, you know, uh, autoship plus uh, health uh, and other merch classes kind of mixing it per se. Uh, 
so without kind of talking to specific numbers, hopefully that's enough intuition building. If not, happy to happy to take a double click. Great. And and can you also talk about your go-to-market strategy for Canada? Um, you know, how are new customers going to learn uh, about Chewy, and and how are they going to experience the brand? And anything to think about in terms of marketing spend over the next couple of quarters as you ramp in Toronto? Yeah, sure. So this is some. This is uh, you know, we're very excited about this. Uh, we are going to. I think the 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 punchline here is that you know we will. Our aspiration is to show up in Canada as a Canadian brand, not as an American brand. You know that. And so essentially, what you should hear in that statement is, you know, we will. We are we are going to try and understand the customer, their needs, their wants, their desires, their behaviors, and then model the offering in a manner that appeals to them in the best possible manner. That, by the way, is also the most efficient way to market to customers, and the most efficient and a, and a way of keeping our costs, you know, uh, minimalized per se. Uh, we're going to be much more, you know, uh, focused on delivering the experience through kind of trusted, proven mechanisms that we have here in the United States, those we do believe carry over pretty nicely. Uh, I was in the Canadian market with the rest of the senior leadership team a few weeks ago, uh, you know, sort of walking the stores and, and the experience all the way from our fulfillment side to the delivery side to the to the in-market. And, you know, we're, we're excited. There's going to be a ton to learn here. Uh, we're going to try and self-fund a bunch of this, and at the same time, whether investments required, uh, we'll be upfront and, and candid about them. Uh, overall, we're looking for high quality, high quality, uh, you know, growth, not dilutive growth here. Thank you. All the best. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Patel. That is all the time we have for questions. I will now turn the call over to Samit for any closing remarks. Thank you very much. Just want to welcome Stacey again and uh, wish everybody a nice evening. Thank you. Thanks, that concludes today's Chewy second quarter fiscal year 23 earnings call. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect your lines.